A Reward of Merit by Booth Tarkington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Reward of Merit by Booth Tarkington. Read by Don Jenkins. 1. Penrod and Sam made a gloomy discovery one morning in mid-October. All the week had seen amiable breezes and fair skies until Saturday, when, about breakfast time, the dome of heaven filled solidly with grey vapour and began to drip. The boys' discovery was that there is no justice about the weather. They sat in the carriage-house of the Schofield's empty stable. The doors upon the alley were open, and Sam and Penrod stared torpidly at the thin but implacable drizzle, which was the more irritating because there was barely enough of it to interfere with a number of things they had planned to do. "'This is nice,' Sam said in a tone of plaintive sarcasm. "'This is a purty way to do.' He was alluding to the personal spitefulness of the elements. "'I'd like to know what's the sense of it.' old sun pourin' down every day in the week when nobody needs it then cloud up and rain all saturday my father said it's going to be a three days rain well nobody with any sense cares if it rains sunday and monday said penrod i wouldn't care if it rained every sunday as long as i lived but i'd just like to know what's the reason it had to go and rain today got all the days of the week to choose from and goes and picks on saturday that's a fine business well in vacation sam began but at a sound from a source invisible to him he paused what's that he said somewhat startled it was a curious sound loud and hollow and inhuman yet it seemed to be a cough both boys rose and penrod asked uneasily where'd that noise come from it's in the alley said sam Perhaps if the day had been bright, both of them would have stepped immediately to the alley doors to investigate, but their actual procedure was to move a little distance in the opposite direction. The strange cough sounded again. Say, Penrod quavered, what is that? Then both boys uttered smothered exclamations and jumped, for the long, gaunt head which appeared in the doorway was entirely unexpected. It was the cavernous and melancholy head of an incredibly thin, old, whitish horse. This head waggled slowly from side to side. The nostrils vibrated, the mouth opened, and the hollow cough sounded again. Recovering themselves, Penrod and Sam underwent the customary human reaction from alarm to indignation. "'What you want, you old horse, you?' Penrod shouted. "'Don't you come—' coughing around me and sam seizing a stick hurled it at the intruder get out of here he roared the aged horse nervously withdrew his head turned tail and made a rickety flight up the alley while sam and penrod perfectly obedient to inherited impulse ran out into the drizzle and uproariously pursued they were but automatons of instinct meaning no evil Certainly they did not know the singular and pathetic history of the old horse who had wandered into the alley and ventured to look through the open door. The horse, about twice the age of either Penrod or Sam, 
had lived to find himself in a unique position he was nude possessing neither harness nor halter all he had was a name whitey and he would have answered to it by a slight change of expression if anyone had thus properly addressed him so forlorn was whitey's case he was actually an independent horse he had not even an owner for two days and a half he had been his own master previous to that period he had been the property of one abilene morris a person of color who would have explained himself as engaged in the hauling business on the contrary the hauling business was an insignificant sideline with mr morris for he had long ago given himself as utterly as fortune permitted to that talent which early in youth he had recognized as the greatest of all those surging in his bosom in his waking thoughts and in his dreams in health and in sickness abilene morris was the dashing and emotional practitioner of an art probably more than roman in antiquity abilene was a crapshooter the hauling business was a disguise a concentration of events had brought it about that at one and the same time abilene after a dazzling run of dice found the hauling business an actual danger to the preservation of his liberty he won seventeen dollars and sixty cents and within the hour found himself in trouble with an officer of the humane society on account of an altercation with whitey abilene had been offered four dollars for whitey some ten days earlier wherefore he at once drove to the shop of the junk dealer who had made the offer and announced his acquiescence in the sacrifice no sir said the junk dealer with emphasis i already done got me a good mule for my delivery hoss that old whitey hoss ain't worth no foe dollar nohow i as a fool when i talk about throwing money round that away i know what you up to abilene man come by here a little bit ago told me all about white man try to rest you over on the avenue yes sir he say white man going to get you yet and throw you in jail can old whitey white man trying to find out who you is he say never mind he'll know whitey again even if he don't know you he say he catch you by the horse so you come round trying to fix me up with whitey so white man grab me throw me in that jail gone way from here you abilene you can't sell and you can't give whitey to no colored man in this town you go and drown that old horse cause you certainly goin to jail if you get kitched driving him the substance of this advice seemed good to abilene especially as the seventeen dollars and sixty cents in his pocket lent sweet colors to life out of jail at this time at dusk he led whitey to a broad common at the edge of town and spoke to him finally go on about your business said abilene you ain't my hoss don't look round at me cause i ain't got no acquaintance with you i'm a man of money and i got my own friends i'm a-lookin for bigger cities hoss you got your business and i got mine mr hoss good night whitey found a little frosted grass upon the common and remained there all night in the morning he sought the shed where abilene had kept him but that was across the large and busy town and whitey was hopelessly lost he had but one eye a feeble one and his legs were not to be depended on but he managed to cover a great deal of ground to have many painful little adventures and to get monstrously hungry and thirsty before he happened to look in upon penrod and sam 
when the two boys chased him up the alley they had no intention to cause pain they had no intention at all they were no more cruel than duke penrod's little old dog who followed his own instincts and making his appearance hastily through a hole in the back fence joined the pursuit with sound and fury a boy will nearly always run after anything that is running and his first impulse is to throw a stone at it this is survival of primeval man who must take every chance to get his dinner so when penrod and sam drove the hapless whitey up the alley they were really responding to an impulse thousands and thousands of years old an impulse founded upon the primordial observation that whatever runs is likely to prove edible penrod and sam were not bad they were never that they were something which was not their fault they were historic at the next corner whitey turned to the right into the cross street thence turning to the right again and still warmly pursued he zigzagged down a main thoroughfare until he reached another cross street which ran alongside the schofield's yard and brought him to the foot of the alley he had left behind in his flight he entered the alley there his dim eye fell upon the open door he had previously investigated no memory of it remained but the place had a look associated in his mind with hay and as sam and penrod turned the corner of the alley in panting yet still vociferous pursuit whitey stumbled up the inclined platform before the open doors staggered thunderously across the carriage house and threw another open door into a stall an apartment vacant since the occupancy of mr schofield's last horse now several years deceased two the two boys shrieked with excitement as they beheld the coincidence of the strange return they burst into the stable making almost as much noise as duke who had become frantic at the invasion sam laid hands upon a rake you get out of here you old horse he bellowed i ain't afraid to drive him out i wait a minute shouted penrod wait till i sam was manfully preparing to enter the stall you hold the doors open he commanded so's they won't blow shut and keep him in here i'm going to hit him with quee yet penrod shouted grasping the handle of the rake so that sam could not use it wait a minute can't you he turned with ferocious voice and gestures upon duke duke and duke in spite of his excitement was so impressed that he prostrated himself in silence and then unobtrusively withdrew from the stable penrod ran to the alley doors and closed them my gracious sam protested what you going to do i'm going to keep this horse said penrod whose face showed the strain of a great idea what for for the reward said penrod simply sam sat down in the wheelbarrow and stared at his friend almost with awe my gracious he said i never thought of that how how much do you think we'll get penrod sam's thus admitting himself to a full partnership in the enterprise met no objection from penrod who was absorbed in the contemplation of whitey well he said judiciously we might get more and we might get less sam rose and joined his friend in the doorway opening upon the two stalls whitey had preempted the nearer and was hungrily nuzzling the old frayed hollows in the manger maybe a hundred dollars or something sam asked in a low voice penrod maintained his composure and repeated the new-found expression which had sounded well to him a moment before he recognized it as a symbol of the non-committal attitude that makes people looked up to well he made it slow and frown we might get more and we might get less more'n a hundred dollars 
Sam gasped. Well, said Penrod, we might get more, and we might get less. This time, however, he felt the need of adding something. He put a question in an indulgent tone as though he were inquiring, not to add to his own information, but to discover the extent of Sam's. How much do you think horses are worth, anyway? I don't know, said Sam frankly, and unconsciously he added, they might be more and they might be less. Well, when our old horse died, said Penrod, Papa said he wouldn't taken five hundred dollars for him. That's how much horses are worth. My gracious, Sam exclaimed. Then he had a practical afterthought. But maybe he was a better horse than this un. What color was he? He was bay. Looky here, Sam. And now Penrod's manner changed from the superior to the eager. You look what kind of horses they have in a circus, and you bet a circus has the best horses, don't it? Well, what kind of horses do they have in a circus? They have some black and white ones, but the best they have are white all over. Wait, what kind of horse is this we got here? He's pretty near white right now, and I bet if we washed him off and got him fixed up nice, he would be white. Well, a bay horse is worth five hundred dollars, because that's what Papa said. And this horse, Sam interrupted rather timidly. He's, he's awfully bony, Penrod. You don't guess that'd make any... Penrod laughed contemptuously. Bony? All he needs is a little food, and he'll fill right up and look good as ever. You don't know much about horses, Sam, I expect. Why, our old horse... Do you expect he's hungry now, asked Sam, staring at Whitey. Let's try him, said Penrod. Horses like hay and oats the best, but they'll eat most anything. I guess they will. He's trying to eat that manger up right now, and I bet it ain't good for him. Come on, said Penrod, closing the door that gave entrance to the stalls. We got to get this horse some drinking water and some good food. They tried Whitey's appetite first with an autumnal branch which they wrenched from a hardy maple in the yard. They had seen horses nibble leaves, and they expected Whitey to nibble the leaves of this branch, but his ravenous condition did not allow him time for cool discriminations. Sam poked the branch at him from the passageway, and Whitey, after one backward movement of alarm, seized it venomously. "'Here, you stop that!' Sam shouted. "'You stop that, you old horse, you!' "'What's the matter?' called Penrod from the hydrant, where he was filling a bucket. "'What's he doing now?' doing he's eating the wood part too he's chewing up sticks as big as baseball bats he's crazy penrod rushed to see this sight and stood aghast take it away from him sam he commanded sharply go on take it away from him yourself was the prompt retort of his comrade you had no business to give it to him said penrod anybody with any sense ought to know it'd make him sick what'd you want to go and give him that for well you didn't say not to well what if i didn't i never said i did did i you go in that stall and take it away from him yes i will sam returned bitterly then as whitey had dragged the remains of the branch from the manger to the floor of the stall sam scrambled to the top of the manger and looked over there ain't much left to take away he's swallowed it all except some splinters better give him the water to try and wash it down with and as penrod complied my gracious look at that horse drink they gave whitey four buckets of water and then debated the question of nourishment obviously this horse could not be trusted with branches and after getting their knees black and their backs sodden they gave up trying to pull enough grass to sustain him 
then penrod remembered that horses liked apples both cooking apples and eating apples and sam mentioned the fact that every autumn his father received a barrel of cooking apples from a cousin who owned a farm that barrel was in the williams cellar now and the cellar was providentially supplied with outside doors so that it could be visited without going through the house sam and penrod set forth for the cellar they returned to the stable bulging and after a discussion of whitey's digestion sam claiming that eating the core and seeds as whitey did would grow trees in his inside they went back to the cellar for supplies again and again they made six trips carrying each time a capacity cargo of apples and still whitey ate in a famished manner they were afraid to take more apples from the barrel which began to show conspicuously the result of their raids wherefore penrod made an unostentatious visit to the cellar of his own house from the inside he opened a window and passed vegetables out to sam who placed them in a bucket and carried them hurriedly to the stable while penrod returned in a casual manner through the house of his sang-froid under a great deal of strain it is sufficient to relate that in the kitchen he said suddenly to della the cook oh look behind you and by the time della discovered that there was nothing unusual behind her penrod was gone and a loaf of bread from the kitchen table was gone with him whitey now ate nine turnips two heads of lettuce one cabbage eleven raw potatoes and the loaf of bread he ate the loaf of bread last and he was a long time about it so the boys came to a not unreasonable conclusion well sir i guess we got him filled up at last said penrod i bet he wouldn't eat a saucer of ice cream now if we gave it to him he looks better to me said sam staring critically at whitey i think he's kind of begun to fill out some i expect he must like us penrod we've been doing a good deal for this horse well we got to keep it up penrod insisted rather pompously long as i got charge of this horse he's going to get good treatment what we better do now penrod penrod took on the outward signs of deep thought well there's plenty to do all right i got to think sam made several suggestions which penrod maintaining his air of preoccupation dismissed with mere gestures oh i know sam cried finally we ought to wash him so's he'll look whiter than what he does now we can turn the hose on him across the manger no not yet said penrod it's too soon after his meal you ought to know that yourself what we got to do is make up a bed for him if he wants to lay down or anything make up a what for him sam echoed dumbfounded what you talking about how can sawdust said penrod that's the way the horse we used to have used to have it we'll make this horse's bed in the other stall and then he can go in there and lay down whenever he wants to how are we going to do it look sam there's the hole in the sawdust box all you got to do is walk in there with the shovel stick the shovel in the hole till it gets full of sawdust and then sprinkle it around on the empty stall all i got to do sam cried what are you going to do i'm going to be right here penrod answered reassuringly he won't kick or anything and it isn't going to take you half a second to slip around behind him to the other stall what makes you think he won't kick well i know he won't and besides you could hit him with the shovel if he tried anyhow i'll be right here won't i i don't care where you are sam said earnestly what difference would that make if he ki why you were going right in the stalls penrod reminded him 
when he first came in you were going to take the rake and i don't care if i was sam declared i was excited then well you can get excited now can't you his friend urged you can just as easy get he was interrupted by a shout from sam who was keeping his eye upon whitey through the discussion looky looky there and undoubtedly renewing his excitement sam pointed at the long gaunt head beyond the manger it was disappearing from view look sam shouted he's laying down well then said penrod i guess he's going to take a nap if he wants to lay down without waiting for us to get the sawdust fixed for him that's his lookout not ours on the contrary sam perceived a favourable opportunity for action i'd just as soon go and make his bed while he's laying down he volunteered you climb up on the manger and watch him penrod and i'll sneak in the other stall and fix it all up nice for him so as he can go in there any time he wakes up and lay down again or anything and if he starts to get up you holler and i'll jump out over the other manger accordingly penrod established himself in a position to observe the recumbent figure whitey's breathing was rather labored but regular and as sam remarked he looked better even in his slumber it was not to be doubted that although whitey was suffering from a light attack of colic his feelings were in the main those of contentment after trouble he was solaced after exposure he was sheltered after hunger and thirst he was fed and watered he slept the noon whistles blew before sam's task was finished but by the time he departed for lunch there was made a bed of such quality that whitey must needs have been born fault-finder if he complained of it the friends parted each urging the other to be prompt in returning but penrod got into threatening difficulties as soon as he entered the house three penrod said his mother what did you do with that loaf of bread della says you took from the table ma'am what loaf of bread i believe i can't let you go outdoors this afternoon mrs schofield said severely if you were hungry you knew perfectly well all you had to do was to but i wasn't hungry i-you can explain later said mrs schofield you'll have all afternoon penrod's heart grew cold i can't stay in he protested i've asked sam williams to come over i'll telephone mrs williams mamma penrod's voice became agonized i had to give that bread to uh, a poor old man he was starving and so were his children and his wife they were all just starving and they couldn't wait while i took time to come and ask you mamma i got to go outdoors this afternoon i-i got to sam's she relented in the carriage house half an hour later penrod gave an account of the episode where'd we been i'd just like to know he concluded if i hadn't got out here this afternoon well i guess i could manage him all right said sam i was in the passageway a minute ago taking a look at him he's standing up again i expect he wants more to eat well we got to fix about that said penrod but what i mean if i'd had to stay in the house where would you been about the most important thing in the whole business what you talking about well why can't you wait until i tell you penrod's tone had become peevish for that matter so had sam's they were developing one of the little differences or quarrels that composed the very texture of their friendship well why don't you tell me then well how can i penrod demanded you keep talking every minute i'm not talking now am i sam protested you can tell me now can't you i'm not talk you are too shouted penrod you talk all the time you 
he was interrupted by whitey's peculiar cough both boys jumped and forgot their argument he means he wants some more to eat i bet said sam well if he does he's got to wait penrod declared we got to get the most important thing of all fixed up first what's that penrod the reward said penrod mildly that's what i was trying to tell you about sam if you'd ever give me half a chance well i did give you a chance i kept telling you to tell me but you never you kept saying they renewed this discussion protracting it indefinitely but as each persisted in clinging to his own interpretation of the facts the question still remains unsettled it was abandoned or rather it merged into another during the later stages of the debate this other being concerned with which of the debaters had the least sense each made the plain statement that if he were more deficient than his opponent in that regard self-destruction would be his only refuge each declared that he would rather die than be talked to death and then as the two approached a point bluntly recriminative whitey coughed again whereupon they were miraculously silent and went into the passageway in a perfectly amiable manner i got to have a look at him for once said penrod as he stared frowningly at whitey we got to fix up about that reward i want to take a good old look at him myself said sam after supplying whitey with another bucket of water they returned to the carriage house and seated themselves thoughtfully in truth they were something a shade more than thoughtful the adventure to which they had committed themselves was beginning to be a little overpowering if whitey had been a dog a goat a fowl or even a stray calf they would have felt equal to him but now that the earlier glow of their wild daring had disappeared vague apprehensions stirred their good look at whitey had not reassured them he seemed large gothic and unusual whisperings within them began to urge that for boys to undertake an enterprise connected with so huge an animal as an actual horse was perilous beneath the surface of their musings dim but ominous prophecies moved both boys began to have the feeling that somehow this affair was going to get beyond them and that they would be in heavy trouble before it was over they knew not why they knew why no more than they knew why they felt it imperative to keep the fact of whitey's presence in the stable a secret from their respective families but they did begin to realize that keeping a secret of that size was going to be attended with some difficulty in brief their sensations were becoming comparable to those of the man who stole a house nevertheless after a short period given to unspoken misgivings they returned to the subject of the reward the money value of bay horses as compared to white was again discussed and each announced his certainty that nothing less than a good old hundred dollars would be offered for the return of whitey but immediately after speaking they fell into another silence due to sinking feelings they had spoken loudly and confidently and yet they knew somehow that such things were not to be according to their knowledge it was perfectly reasonable to suppose that they would receive this fortune but they frightened themselves in speaking of it they knew that they could not have a hundred dollars for their own an oppression as from something awful and criminal descended upon them at intervals presently however they were warmed to a little cheerfulness again by penrod's suggestion that they should put a notice in the paper neither of them had the slightest idea how to get it there but such details as that were beyond their horizon they occupied themselves with the question of what their advertisement ought to say 
finding that they differed irreconcilably penrod went to a cache of his in the sawdust box and brought two pencils and a supply of paper he gave one of the pencils and several sheets to sam then both boys bent themselves in silence to the labor of practical composition penrod produced the briefer paragraph sam's was more ample neither sam nor penrod showed any interest in what the other had written but both felt something praiseworthy had been accomplished penrod exhaled a sigh of relief and in a manner he had observed his father use sometimes he said thank goodness that's off my mind anyway what we going to do next penrod sam said deferentially the borrowed manner having some effect upon him i don't know what you're going to do penrod returned picking up the old cigar box which had contained the paper and pencils i'm going to put mine in here so's it'll come in handy when i have to get at it well i guess i'll keep mine there too said sam thereupon he deposited his scribbled slip beside penrod's in the cigar box and the box was solemnly returned to the secret place whence it had been taken there that's tended to said sam and unconsciously imitating his friend's imitation he gave forth audibly a breath of satisfaction and relief both boys felt that the financial side of their great affair had been conscientiously looked to that the question of the reward was settled and that everything was proceeding in a business-like manner therefore they were able to turn their attention to another matter that was the question of whitey's next meal after their exploits of the morning and the consequent imperilment of penrod they decided that nothing more was to be done in apples vegetables or bread it was evident that whitey must be fed from the bosom of nature we couldn't pull enough of that frost-bit old grass in the yard to feed him penrod said gloomily we could work a week and not get enough to make him swallow more than about twice all we got this morning he blew most of it away he'd try to scoop it in toward his teeth with his lip and then he'd half kind of blow out of his breath and after that all the grass that'd be left was just some wet pieces sticking to the outsides of his face well and you know how he acted about that maple branch we can't trust him with branches sam jumped up i know he cried there's lots of leaves left on the branches we can give them to him i just said i don't mean the branches sam exclaimed we'll leave the branches on the trees but just pull the leaves off the branches and put them in the bucket and feed em to him out of the bucket penrod thought this plan worth trying and for three-quarters of an hour the two boys were busy with the lower branches of various trees in the yard thus they managed to supply whitey with a fair quantity of wet leaves which he ate in a perfunctory way displaying little of his earlier enthusiasm and the work of his purveyors might have been more tedious if it had been less damp for a boy is seldom bored by anything that involves his staying out in the rain without protection the drizzle had thickened the leaves were heavy with water and at every jerk the branches sent fat drops over the two collectors they attained a noteworthy state of sogginess finally they were brought to the attention of the authorities indoors and della appeared upon the back porch must a penrod she called your mamma says you'll come in the house this minute and change your shoes and stockings and everything else you got on do you hear me penrod taken by surprise and unpleasantly alarmed darted away from the tree he was depleting and ran for the stable you tell her i'm dry as toast he shouted over his shoulder della withdrew wearing the air of a person gratuitously insulted and a moment later she issued from the kitchen carrying an umbrella she opened it and walked resolutely to the stable she says i'm to bring ye in the house says della 
and I'm going to bring ye. Sam had joined Penrod in the carriage house, and with the beginnings of an unnamed terror, the two beheld this grim advance. But they did not stay for its culmination. Without a word to each other, they hurriedly tiptoed up the stairs to the gloomy loft, and there they paused, listening. They heard Della's steps upon the carriage house floor. Ah, there's plenty places to hide in, they heard her say, but I'll show ye. She told me to bring ye, and I'm... She was interrupted by a peculiar sound, loud, chilling, dismal, and unmistakably not of human origin. The boys knew it for Whitey's cough, but Della had not their experience. A smothered shriek reached their ears. There was a scurrying noise, and then, with horror, they heard Della's footsteps in the passageway that ran by Whitey's manger. Immediately there came a louder shriek, and even in the anguish of knowing their secret discovered, they were shocked to hear distinctly the words, Oh, Lord in heaven, in a well-known voice of Della. She shrieked again, and they heard the rush of her footfalls across the carriage-house door. Wild words came from the outer air, and the kitchen door slammed violently. It was all over. She had gone to tell. Penrod and Sam plunged down the stairs and out of the stable. They climbed the back fence and fled up the alley. They turned into Sam's yard, and, without consultation, headed for the cellar doors, nor paused until they found themselves in the furthest, darkest, and gloomiest recess of the cellar. There, perspiring, stricken with fear, they sank down upon the earth and floor with their moist backs against the stone wall. Thus with boys. The vague apprehensions that had been creeping upon Penrod and Sam all afternoon had become monstrous. The unknown was before them. How great their crime would turn out to be, now that it was in the hands of grown people, they did not know, but since it concerned a horse, it would undoubtedly be considered of terrible dimensions. Their plans for a reward, and all the things that had seemed both innocent and practical in the morning, now staggered their minds as manifestations of criminal folly. A new and terrible light seemed to play upon the day's exploits. They had chased a horse belonging to strangers, and it would be said that they deliberately drove him into the stable, and there concealed him. They had, in truth, virtually stolen him, and they had stolen food for him. The waning light through the small window above them warned Penrod that his inroads upon the vegetables in his own cellar must soon be discovered. Della, that nemesis, would seek them in order to prepare them for dinner, and she would find them not but she would recall his excursion to the cellar, for she had seen him when he came up, and also the truth would be known concerning the loaf of bread. Altogether, Penrod felt that his case was worse than Sam's, until Sam offered a suggestion which roused such horrible possibilities concerning the principal item of their offense that all thought of the smaller indictments disappeared. Listen, Penrod, Sam quavered. What? What if that... That old horse maybe belonged to a policeman. Sam's imagination was not of the comforting kind. What'd they do to us, Penrod, if it turned out to it was some policeman's horse? Penrod was able only to shake his head. He did not reply in words, but both boys thenceforth considered it almost inevitable that Whitey had belonged to a policeman, and in their sense of so ultimate a disaster, they ceased for a time to brood upon what their parents would probably do to them. The penalty for stealing a policeman's horse would be only a step short of capital, they were sure. They would not be hanged, but vague, looming sketches of something called the penitentiary began to flicker before them. It grew darker in the cellar, so that finally they could not see each other. "'I guess they're hunting for us by now,' Sam said huskily. 
I don't, I don't like it much down here, Penrod. Penrod's hoarse whisper came from the profound gloom. Well, whoever said you did? Well, Sam paused. Then he said plaintively, I wish we'd never seen that dern old horse. It was every bit his fault, said Penrod. We didn't do anything. If he hadn't come sticking his old head in our stable, it'd never happened at all, old fool. He rose. I'm going to get out of here. I guess I've stood about enough for one day. Where, where are you going, Penrod? You, you aren't going home, are you? No, I'm not. What do you take me for? You think I'm crazy? Well, where can you go? How far Penrod's desperation actually would have led him is doubtful, but he made this statement. I don't know where you're going, but I'm going to walk straight out in the country until I come to a farmhouse and say my name's George and live there. I'll do it too, Sam whispered eagerly. I'll say my name's Henry. Well, we better get started, said the executive Penrod. We got to get away from here anyway. But when they came to ascend the steps leading to the outside doors, they found that those doors had been closed and locked for the night. It's no use, Sam lamented. And we can't bust them, because I tried to once before. Fanny always locks them about five o'clock. I forgot. We got to go up the stairway and try to sneak out through the house. They tiptoed back and up the inner stairs. They paused at the top, then breathlessly stepped out into a hall which was entirely dark. Sam touched Penrod's sleeve in warning and bent to listen at a door. Immediately that door opened, revealing the bright library where sat Penrod's mother and Sam's father. It was Sam's mother who had opened the door. Come into the library, boys, she said. Mrs. Schofield is just telling us about it. And as the two comrades moved dumbly into the lighted room, Penrod's mother rose and, taking him by the shoulder, urged him close to the fire. You stand there and try to dry off a little while I finish telling Mr. and Mrs. Williams about you and Sam, she said. You'd better make Sam keep near the fire, too, Mrs. Williams, because they both got ringing wet. Think of their running off just when most people would have wanted to stay. Well, I'll go on with the story, then. Della told me all about it, and what the cook next door said she'd seen. How they'd been trying to pull grass and leaves for the poor old thing all day, and about all the apples they carried from your cellar, and getting wet and working in the rain as hard as they could, and they'd given him a loaf of bread. Shame on you, Penrod. She paused to laugh, but there was a little moisture round her eyes even before she laughed and they'd fed him on potatoes and lettuce and cabbage and turnips out of our cellar. And I wish you'd see the sawdust bed they made for him. Well, when I telephoned and the Humane Society man got there, he said it was the most touching thing he ever knew. It seems he knew this horse and had been looking for him. He said ninety-nine boys out of a hundred would have chased the poor old thing away, and he was going to see to it that this case didn't go unnoticed because... The local branch of the society gives little silver medals for special acts like this, and the last thing he said before he led the poor old horse away was that he was sure Penrod and Sam each would be awarded one at the meeting of the society next Thursday night. On the following Saturday morning a yodel sounded from the sunny sidewalk in front of the Schofields' house, and Penrod, issuing forth, beheld the familiar figure of Samuel Williams in waiting. Upon Sam's breast there glittered a round bit of silver suspended by a white ribbon from a bar of the same metal. Upon the breast of Penrod was a decoration precisely similar. Lo, Penrod, said Sam, what are you going to do? 
nothing i got mine on said sam i have two said penrod i wouldn't take a hundred dollars for mine each glanced pleasantly at the other's medal they faced each other without shame neither had the slightest sense of hypocrisy either in himself or in his comrade on the contrary penrod's eyes went from sam's medal back to his own thence they wandered with perhaps a little disappointment to the lifeless street and to the empty yards and the spectatorless windows of the neighbourhood then he looked southward toward the busy heart of the town where multitudes were let's go down and see what time it is by the courthouse clock said penrod End of a reward of merit by booth tarkington read by don jenkins